Welcome to the Book Lovers Podcast from Spartanburg County Public Libraries. I don't know how you're feeling, but we're feeling Catch-22. I'm Joseph Henderson, the miserable and magical media specialist. And I'm Rhea Gajeski, the happy, free, confused, and lonely children's assistant. And I'm Jess Herzog, the tired director of adult services. <laughs> In the world of Catch-22, nothing feels right. It's a war novel, but it isn't. It's a capitalism story, but not totally. The women are badly written, but the men are deeply wrought. Plus, Pilot Yossarian struggles to make sense of the world he's trapped in, where missions are like candy for kernels, and inflatable vest cartridges are used to make ice cream. We're digging into the iconic classic on this episode, as well as sharing some of our latest reads and watches. Let's get started. get into our conversation about catch 22 we're going to try something new on today's episode and Uh we're going to have a little chat about what we have been reading and watching and maybe even playing recently Mm -hmm. um and ria i wondered if you could maybe start us off yeah um so what are you into i'm in a marine mood and that sounds weird let me explain all right So back in August, I picked up Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And it's a book about, it's a mystery about a elderly woman who cleans a aquarium and Mm -hmm. an octopus in the octopus tank. And this half the novel is told from her point of view and half is told from the octopus's point of view, which sounds weird, but it works and it was lovely. Um, it was a beautiful story, one mystery. So like, where's it going to end? How does everything connect? But two, just about humans and family and connection, which are the stories that I personally love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love when I get to the end of the book and I'm like, it was about humanity the whole time. Yeah. How yeah. beautiful. Um, that's just, you know, really pushes all my buttons, checks all the boxes. Love it. Now, I know you um, listen to a lot of audiobooks. I do. I listened uh, to that one. You listened to that one. It was very good. Nice. Um, which led me to another book, which Ooh. I also read the uh, listened to the audiobook for, which is Whalefall by Daniel Krause. I've heard um, about that. And yeah. I was flipping through last month's book page, and it was one of the books that was highlighted. And I'm like, this looks interesting. Um, the cover was catching. And I know we should not judge books by their cover, but we have eyes, so we do. Um, And it was lovely. It was lovely is probably the wrong adjective for that one. But horror, basically a young man is out um, scuba diving and he gets swallowed by a whale. And it takes place in like a 45 minute like time of him trying to escape this whale body. Wow. Um, But the novel also basically walks through his like 17 years of life and his... um, relationship with his father who is deceased so it's like the tale of his whole life but also simultaneously taking place within like 45 minutes of Mm. him trying to beat the clock before his tank runs out yeah um so fascinating and now i'm currently listening to um pod by Laylene Paul, which I know we're not supposed to talk about books that are not in our collection. This one is a relatively new book to the U.S. It was originally published in the U.K., I do believe. Okay. It's shortlisted for the Women's Prize of Fiction, so we do not have it in the collection yet. Yeah. But it takes, it's about dolphins, basically. So instead Mm -hmm. of main characters being people, the main characters are a pod of dolphins. Oh. So we're in a marine kick. It's kind of weird. I don't know how long it'll last. Probably once the first crisp leaf of fall falls, I will no longer be interested in the ocean. Yeah. But for now... We're on an ocean kick. So your summer expression has been marine themed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the holds list for um, for whale fall mm-hmm. on audio. Yes. So I'm excited. It's really good. I'm excited to know that you enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to yeah. getting around to that. Um, Jess, do you have a do you have a theme that organizes what you've been? listening uh, to or watching or reading absolutely not lately no <laughs> um, normally i don't have no. things but it's yeah. just it yeah, kind yeah. of happened that it's like we're gonna talk about 
marine life <laughs> yeah i my the theme for my reading watching playing is really just pure chaos like that sounds right i i just go wherever the wind takes me really yeah um just like dandelion on the breeze yeah pretty much just floating along running into mm. whatever book i hit first um but i am i just started a new book because i finished catch 22 and i was like i need something slightly different just a little bit different so i um just started reading a new romantic comedy that came out on tuesday called kishing kishing <laughs> edit this part out called kissing kosher mm-hmm. by jean Meltzer. And she wrote the Matzo Ball, which is a Hanukkah-themed romance, mm-hmm. like also romantic that, comedy. Right? I read that and I loved it. I thought it was so fun. And um, so now I'm reading Kiss and Kosher, and the main character works at her family's bakery called Best Bobka in Brooklyn. And uh, the, Love f- the alliteration, yes, yeah. <laughs> and it it turns out there's this like um, family that was working with her family and the grandparents got into a fight and split off. And so there were these two competing Bobka stores directly across from each other, which reminds me of Pat's and Gino's up in Philly. Uh, they're right across from each other and they both think they're the best thing ever. So um, there was Bobka beef. Yeah. Yeah. There was indeed Bobka beef. And, so the the grandchildren now one of them helps run her family store the other one goes in under a fake last name and starts working there to steal their famous pumpkin spice babka recipe oh seasonally appropriate seasonally very (laughs) appropriate yeah when i read that i was like oh geez i guess it's here i guess i can't get away from it now Um, so I'm reading that. It's a lot of fun. I'm not very far into it, but I also really like Jean Meltzer's, um, willingness to write about, she has a chronic pain disease. And so her characters very often have like in, in the matzo ball, the main character had chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. And this one has, um, interstitial cystitis. So, like her characters are very fleshed out in terms of they have disabilities and they're, they're still working women. They're doing a lot. They, um, handle Shabbat for their families. You know, they're, they're doing all sorts of different stuff. And I really, I really enjoy that, but they're also just really funny and charming and very light, especially compared to catch 22. Sure. Um, and I'm, my goal for this year was just to like watch more movies, which has more movies than last year would be like six, Mm-hmm. But I just watched my 104th movie, which was um, way more than six. Yeah. yeah, I I watched the 39 Steps last okay. week, which is an yeah. early Hitchcock film, and it was really good. Um, I think it was filmed in 1935, I believe, mm-hmm. one year after it happened one night, which it does remind me of in some ways. There's like the the guy and the woman and they're on the run and it's a bit of a comedy of errors and they get yeah. stuck mm-hmm. in all these dumb situations and they and have this to like is like British period yes too, yeah sort of a and different phase absolutely so it was a little bit lighter than some of the 60s Hitchcocks that we right. see like the birds and psycho and that kind of stuff right. um and it was just it was very fun to watch it's a little bit more of a puzzle to put together yeah as opposed to a kind of uh like a it's less cat and mouse and more Mm -hmm. like what's happening how do we figure this out and i really enjoyed it and it's black and white it is british um but it's it's just a very entertaining film and so that's what i've been working on yeah when i watch a movie i'm just like what am i gonna watch i don't know whatever (laughs) it might be charlie chaplin yeah it might be mission impossible like it's there's no telling i mean um, do you have a movie do you have a movie on deck for tonight not yet. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. And usually what I do on Wednesday nights is I watch whatever Turner, Turner Classic Movies is airing. Oh, we so love little traditions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. just kind of like kind of happened. And like, I haven't watched as many movies this month because I've been reading Catch 22. And then I've been reading a book for an author event that we're having in a couple of weeks. So I've been focused on that and getting those books yeah. done. And so I haven't done my TCM in a couple of weeks and I'm like yeah. ready so for it. I'm like prayers up to the yeah. TCM roulette. Uh, hopefully yeah. it's something good instead of yeah. 
something bad. Sometimes they play some real questionable some things. Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, and you know, we we in our department, we all know how much of a um, a Halloween anti fan you are. Correct. So you know, October, yeah, I'm not a lover of Halloween. I might have October to dip out. October could be a rocky month for TC. Yeah, I think. I think what I might do, I do have access to TCM through Max, which used to be HBO Max. We do have that at home. And what I love about TCM, too, is that most of the things that are on there we have in our collection. So I can still give them a staff picks and suggest them to patrons, talk about them on the podcast. So what I might do is actually just jump into Max and find some stuff that I have saved that I've been meaning to watch. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't think... uh, what was it? House of Wax was on a couple weeks ago, and I was like, <laughs> I don't think I want to watch this. Probably not. The for super you. old was it? Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, maybe not. But Joseph, what are you working on? Because um, I know you're always mm. grinding with books and movies something. and games. It's something. all happening. Something, something is always uh, going on, humming in the background no of, of the mind. Um, so the last book that I read and absolutely loved, um, I read in, in a kind of a white heat, um, despite its length. And you were in a fervor about this darn book. I really was. Um, this was, uh, Paul Murray's, uh, latest novel, which is called The Bee Sting. Um, and boy, did I love that book. Um, it, uh, like... Catch Twenty Two is told uh, in a in a sort of fragmented and experimental way, in a sense, um, taking place kind of in a in a present context of two thousand eight ish and after uh, Ireland, following uh, following a family um, that is kind of reckoning with their lives in. Um, uh, let's say in moments of moments of transition and transformation, um, but also looking back on their pasts and and other things. The title refers to a mysterious story surrounding one of the main characters in the novel, Imelda, who is the wife of Dickie Barnes. Um, who is one that of the other? That is an extremely Irish name. Mm-hmm. Imelda and Dicky, yeah, <laughs> uh, quite a pair of those two. Um, and uh, the story concerns their wedding day, when Imelda purportedly wore the veil uh, over her face the entire time, because as the story goes, she was stung by a bee on her eye, and she simply did not want to be visible or photographed. Um, and this story is discovered by her children who realize that they can't seem to find any photos from the wedding day. And, um, and so thematically, I guess the thing that the book is pursuing is that question that in some ways we all ask ourselves, um, at some point, if we have, if we have regrets or as the great neck tattoo says regrets which is to say when was the moment where it all went wrong mm. right when was the moment where maybe we could see that this was not the right path and in a certain sense that bee sting and the bee sting story maybe is one of those moments uh maybe is one of those moments when things could have gone differently for for the barnes family um, so ultimately, the scope and the sweep of the story is tragic, but it is so beautifully told. Imelda's sections in particular are just like a, a bravura performance of writing and editing, much like Catch-22, in that uh, they are largely narrated without punctuation, um, except for the occasional exclamation point or question mark. Um, and the page is almost treated a little bit more like uh, the the space that you would see um, in a work of poetry where line breaks punctuate uh, the sense um, and capitalization plays a different role. So there's a real propulsive rhythm mm-hmm. to the way that um, the way that those sections are written. And it's just I don't know. I just was compelled to see what was going to happen. 
And then the other thing that made the book so addictive to me to read was because it was told from different perspectives, the kids' perspectives, the parents' perspectives. Um, The ends of each one of the sections, whether they were major sections or minor sections within those perspectives, they just, he just leaves you on real emotional and plot cliffhangers Mm -hmm. where you're sort of saying, wait, what just happened? Who just showed up at the grandfather's like uh, sort of celebration birthday party? Are are we sure? Because I thought that person was maybe supposed to be dead. Anyway, it's it's very dramatic, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, all six hundred plus uh, pages of it. They they do. Did really you read past your bedtime? Fly by. Were you the kid? Oh, oh were you the kid with the flashlight? <laughs> oh, absolutely, I was, and I still kind of am. And uh, you know, despite the the various uh, accent lighting solutions that we have in our bedroom, <laughs> uh, much to the chagrin of my spouse, um, so I do I do the best I can. Um, she push you out of the bed. <coughs> uh, you know, I, mm. I, there's a reason why I have an office on the other side of the house. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. funny thing about me is that I do not often look up summaries of books before I start reading them. I will often just pick up a book, <laughs> cold, fresh, jump in. Oh yeah. Meaning, I don't know what's coming ever. Um, I knew a little bit about Catch-22, you know, it's recommended in schools, it's on lots sure. of school lists, different things. I briefly glanced at the back of the book and I'm like, oh, war novel, fabulous, start reading, quickly realize this book is not your average war novel. Things are quite, some might say, crazy. Um, Very irreverent. Weird. Satirical. Probably the best word. Yeah. Um, Where would we say, like, genre? Where are we we hitting? What's what's going on here? So I think you're right to say that that one of the places we can locate a novel like Catch-22 from a genre perspective is in the context of, of war novels. But I think another place we can locate it is within uh, the broader, somewhat broader context of literary fiction from sort of post-war American writers that some critics have come to describe as the systems novel. Okay. Um, so I'm taking this definition partially from the critic Tom LeClaire, um, who has written a work of, of criticism about the American novelist Don DeLillo, um, author of White Noise and Underworld and a number of other things. Um, and he includes in his list of authors who have written systems novels, uh, writers like William Gaddis, uh, Thomas Pynchon, um, Ursula K. Le Guin, mm-hmm. um, specifically her novel, Always Coming Home, which almost reads less like a novel and more like a compendium of sort of speculative anthropology. It's a massive book. Um, Joseph Heller is, of course, in the list, uh, as is uh, Mr. DeLillo himself, uh, among others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him, this idea of, of writing a systems novel um, you know, it includes some some defining, but not like exclusive, generic traits. Um, you know, he sees these books as responding in some way to uh, what he calls the sort of accelerating special ina- specialization and alienation of knowledge and work. As you see more sort of like technical technical specialization within say the sciences or within manufacturing people that only make like one type of mm-hmm. widget on an assembly line um, and that's Very literally like specialization which leads to feelings of p- 
potential isolation. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah you're you're dehumanization way, in a way. You bet. You're way less connected from, uh, say the the experience of making the whole car than you are from like working specifically on the air pressure sensors mm-hmm. in the tires. You know, um, at the same time, we see alongside this this massive growth in uh, you know information and communications rise of what would eventually become the internet um but there are lots of precedents to that emergence mm-hmm. um this also ca- is carried out along the lines of military technology so like you can kind of start to see with some of this um ways in which it's almost natural for war novels like catch 22 to be bound up within this idea of systems Mm -hmm. and systems theory um and then you also have you know just geopolitical interconnection and crises around energy and around exchange um where's the money going where's the information going who has the energy um and who has the goods i mean again this is just in some ways I'm just describing like the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these know, are just yeah. the like, questions of the day. <laughs> this is just like 2023. Um, but it's like it's particularly like hyper focused in Catch 22, especially when we talk about Milo. Mm-hmm. You bet. And his yeah. behavior with the syndicate and the. <laughs> I mean, we'll see paragraphs upon paragraphs of Milo saying, "Well, you've got to get the cotton from Egypt, and then you yes. have to go to <laughs> Turkey, and then you have to go." To Italy to send the stuff to France to send it back so to Italy so right. you can sell price. it to Spain at this price. Right. It's like, okay, this is where we're really seeing like the nuts and bolts of the way that something works. Yeah, the the material that Milo Minderbender. I think it was Minderbinder. Minderbinder. Milo, Milo Minderbinder. Minderbinder uh, is engaged in trafficking over the course of the novel is a perfect example of one of these one of these like inherent structures in the systems novel it's like how is the exchange working we see how that works in the in the course of the book and then one of the last sort of uh one of the last big things is um you know is this response to these novels coming out of a response to um planetary threats produced by humans that Mm -hmm. are now seemingly beyond our control so obviously now we see systems novels addressing climate change fairly directly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but uh but at an earlier time um you know the the sort of the idea of nuclear annihilation was absolutely a facet of mm-hmm. um of that sense of ever expanding and massive threat and in some ways even though it's never named in in catch 22 this idea of omnipresent everywhere death that is haunting mm-hmm. usarian at every waking moment uh whether he's thinking about you know hitler and tojo or whether he's thinking about his own cells that are oxidizing that will one day betray him and become cancerous right like or the white soldier just literally constantly in the infirmary just Hanging out in the back, right? Being close maybe to death and or dead. dead. Maybe like being dead. Maybe being dead. Yeah. Or the, f- the threat of explosion of his fireplace being taken apart and put together by his friend wrong. Yeah. You know, it's, in some it's ways, always it's always there. And it's and so in some ways, it's like you read this novel, and even though it doesn't talk about explicitly about the atomic bomb, it's like it's there. Oh yeah. It's there. Sure. It's the undercurrent. It's the unspoken mm-hmm. thing in the background, and so like. So that's a useful, it's a potentially useful way for us to think about this novel. And I think we can already start to see it's like, so that has, that has some meaning, not just for how uh, networks of command and control, but also commerce are um, constructed in the novel. Uh, But it also in some ways has a, uh, it has a, a way of altering how we might think about characters mm-hmm. too, because those characters, those characters pop up for us as we're reading both as characters, but also as data, right? As information. Mm-hmm. Think about 
in the way in this novel we have uh, Colonel Cathcart thinking about Yossarian and like deconstructing Yossarian's name and he's like his name itself is suspicious because all those S's in it <laughs> and then and it's then real sus fam yeah and then like he Too starts to and then like on the next page in the novel he starts to like write out Yossarian's rap sheet more or less of all the things that he's pretty sure he was involved in but then there's several things that he has question marks that he wrote <laughs> <Yes>. beside <laughs> it and it's like those are the ones that he's really going to have to investigate um you know think about that example and you can also think about the uh the way that uh eventually like three quarters of the way through the novel the chaplain is hauled in for an <laughs> interrogation for things they're not sure that he has done yet and for things they can't name be. and the yes. things that they can't name right so there's like there's this sense in which these characters they exist on different planes of reality as the novel itself is sort of presenting all these different frames uh, uh, or, or planes of reality that are both real and experiential and material, but also like bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, and we even have computers in here, right? We have, uh, we have the mention of uh, IBM machines mm -hmm. that um, accidentally promoted uh, yes. poor major <laughs> yeah. major. Yeah. They, they, uh, they just kept pushing him up. They're like, yeah. this seems like a good idea. Yeah, he just sort of ends up through, ends up in his spot uh, due to the logic of the punch card, which had a similar, as the, as Heller put it, like similar, you know, dark sense of humor as his father, mm -hmm. yeah. um, who says he'll never amount to anything. Such so a like, great line. Yeah, so like, so the systems novel, I think, I hope, is maybe a, f uh, a helpful framework for thinking about some of the things that mm -hmm. this book is trying to do but then also thinking about it like in relation to other titles that listeners may be familiar mm -hmm. with um you know not just slaughterhouse five which we'll probably get into some of the connections there uh but also you know uh you know i don't know the one i was thinking about the whole time was gravity's rainbow um because there's there's a lot of connections and like real divergences um between the two it reminds me a bit too of um david foster wallace's unfinished novel the pale king you bet yeah. um which is about the irs, the IRS and yeah. deeply about like systems and structure and the way that those things are how they function and how humans have to function around them and how they operate right um but i think the other thing too about catch 22 that can be helpful in terms of trying to define it as a genre um, or define its genre in general is that it's very funny. Oh yeah. And it's oh, funny yeah. in a very specific mm -hmm. way. And um, saying it's a war novel does it a disservice yeah. and also is very misleading for a lot of mm -hmm. people who are interested in a war novel because most war novels aren't funny. They are reverent. They're they not, are they're, yeah. um, yeah, you're reading for a specific thing. And especially if you're reading historical fiction, looking for mm -hmm. a war novel, sure. this is not the book for right. you. Yeah. Um, it's also like, we have to think of it really as contemporary fiction even though we see it now in 2023 as a quote unquote classic and yeah. historical in some way. I mean, Heller wrote it and released it within 20 years of the effects or the, yeah. the things that happened in the book. Right. So it's really not historical fiction. It's contemporary. So we have to look at it as both a war novel and a satire mm -hmm. and a systems novel. And so that really kind of, hones in on a very specific type of book that we're looking at mm. um and frankly a, I, I think a real rarity in literature sure because we don't see that a lot um and so it's also a question of if a patron did like this book or was interested in reading something like this we have to take into consideration both how do you feel about war how do you right. feel about logistics and then also what is your sense of humor yeah. and what are you willing to what read? What tone are you interested because in? Because there's, yeah, there's a very specific tone in Catch-22 that can definitely rub the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, right. And does, for me, in a couple of places. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, um, yeah, I think the the tricky vantage point or the tricky angle of uh, of trying to sort of recommend the book to, to a patron just 
blindly in some way, like uh, asking for a particular recommendation, um, you almost need to you almost need to get a better sense of their own. I don't know, like sensibility in in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is part of why it is uh, often most difficult (laughs) from the library service desk standpoint to recommend books that are humorous Uh to other people because you just don't know unless you know the person. And I think sometimes... I don't know. I found myself in a situation like this, just to share a quick anecdote, mm-hmm. found myself in a situation like this recently on the desk. And what I felt worked in the interaction and when the patron found the titles that they were interested in is when I shared a couple of brief little synopses, not necessarily of the plot, but like moments or facets of the book that I thought were really funny. Mm-hmm. And when the patron heard those they were like, oh, yeah, that's the book for me. Right. You that know, sounds, it's but yeah. but that's almost like what you have to do. Like you mm-hmm. do kind of have to give them it, that trailer yeah. sense of things. It has that energy of being in a movie theater and <laughs> laughing at the parts that no one else is laughing at. Oh, sure. Right? And being able yeah. to isolate for a patron what it is that they find funny and then be able to find that in another book is really hard and really and tricky. It's, really hard. it's right. super subjective. Yeah. Because it's really, it's accessing emotion for mm-hmm. a patron in a very yeah. unique way. And that's that's just hard it's to hard. find. It's, it's hard so to, hard. yeah, it's real hard to isolate. But it is, um, it is easier if you've read the book and you can kind of share right. some of those tidbits about the book to see how the patron's going to react. Yeah. Like maybe it's really slapstick humor that they're not interested in, but maybe it's wordplay that word they're play. really keen mm-hmm. on or something like that. Maybe they like really wacky names, which in Catch-22 is a real success of mm-hmm. the book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if they find lists funny. Yeah. <laughs> which I kind of do. Yeah. Like I just uh, inherently yeah, find a, lists yeah, really Even funny. like there's Hits, several right? times where there's just like a dry sentence after like at the end of a long paragraph or a description of a new character there's one character i cannot remember who it was but it's like he knew everything about literature except how to enjoy it yes and yeah. that like literally mm-hmm. i was like this is the best sentence ever written i yeah. like laughed aloud i went ha like <laughs> this is yeah. great yeah <laughs> just yeah. like there's so much there's so many different facets of humor in this book but yeah also some of it is like it feels icky sometimes to be laughing at like something that I'm like, this shouldn't be funny or this is like, this is death or this is like someone being like dehumanized. And I'm just like, this feels right. Well, yeah, it's like real trash too. It's trash humor for sure. Well, and I think this is, you know, this goes back in some ways to just to your hesitation around like saying just explicitly, Oh, you want a war novel? Now why don't you read Catch Twenty Two? You want a you know, funny book? <laughs> uh, it's like, well, you can't really say that without some amount of some amount of hesitation. You can't even also say like, you want a funny book. It's like, are you? Because really, the question the question that you can't ask maybe directly is, are you okay with, and would you be comfortable with? Would you enjoy like four hundred, five hundred pages of like the skewering of? Just about every like piety mm-hmm. and thing that yeah, is yeah the teardown of the air force in this book for example so many different you ideals know? are just ripped yeah. to shreds whether we're talking about religion whether we're talking about sexual relationships and propriety um, there whether we're talking about bureaucracy and the military hierarchy hierarchy any, yeah. sure yeah so many different things yeah well and that I think. I think this is a good example of the ways in which genre is limited. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we have people come up to us and they say, oh, I love mysteries. I love thrillers. That ultimately does not give us what we need in order to recommend a book to a patron or suggest a title. Because when you think about it, genre would be like saying, oh, well, I like wearing shirts. Right. Yeah, we right. all like wearing shirts, but what yeah. shirt? What kind of shirt? Yeah, you know, is it a t-shirt? t-shirt is it a neon orange t-shirt up. with a pierogi on the front yeah. of it? 
I can guarantee neither. Well, yeah. Rhea, you might be willing I, to wear that. I would wear the pierogi shirt. Joseph is offended by my pierogi fest shirt. I but, love turtlenecks. My um, coworkers downstairs and children's hate turtlenecks. Hate turtlenecks, like, right? Get, you know. So saying that, and then also it's like it's just so open. Yeah. Right. So saying sure. war novel. Yeah. Yeah. What? What even is that? Because yeah. it it completely neglects the concept of mood, right? Of theme, of other topics, of characterization, all of that kind of stuff. And so, Catch Twenty Two, I think, is a really good example of why um, a lot of a lot of people when they first start working here conflate readers' advisory with identifying genre, right? And think that that's the only way that something has to be done, and this book is a perfect example of why you can't do that because right. it's such a limiting factor in terms of defining what a patron really wants to read. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think, I think maybe then, you know, this is a good, it's a good opportunity for us to sort of pivot and sort of say, well, okay, we're not going to call it a war novel, but, but it is obviously a novel that uses the second world war as a means into thinking about so many different Mm -hmm. uh so many different questions right and so many different larger concerns um one of those we've we've already hinted at and maybe we can kind of dig into a little bit deeper and that is through the character of milo minderbinder milo minderbinder minderbinder uh head of the syndicate um and everybody has a share and everyone (laughs) has a share in the syndicate i think we Um, have a share we probably do. Good for us. Um, <laughs> We're coming up in the world. And the, <laughs> Look, the <Ma>. yeah, the, <laughs> the roots and branches of that syndicate are everywhere. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and this, this is something that, uh, that runs through the novel and it's hard to easily pinpoint exactly where it starts, but I think maybe it starts with eggs. Isn't that the first that's like the first thing that he's trading i think it's yeah there's there's the the eggs eggs and then the tomatoes there's the eggs and the tomatoes but then there's also the there's a bit about the uh how you know a quarter of a bed sheet you know that's (laughs) yeah i mean you do a lot of a lot of stuff with a quarter of a bed sheet you didn't know i was oh oh my goodness yeah um that scene is insane yeah so so yeah uh i mean what do we want to you know where 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 can we go uh, in talking about in talking about Milo and sort of our responses to him as a character? I know Jess, you had some thoughts last night in our book club. Yeah, I personally like. Him. So one of my favorite parts of this book, I read this book in two thousand six for the first time, um, and I only like I remembered generally what it was about, yeah. but going back and reading it, of course, there's a lot more. But one of the things that I remembered from it i mean there's major 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 right right. and then there's also milo like milo was one of the characters and one of the things i really remembered the most was the syndicate and all of his just like the grind culture that milo represents he is a true hustler and this is like the syndicate is really funny because here in 2023 that's his side hustle Mm -hmm. like he's the head Uh of the mess hall but he's also side hustling as the lead and a mayor of a yeah. town oh, yeah. and like works like is a I don't he does all these things mm-hmm. and um that's all his side hustle which is really funny eat sleep grind <laughs> yes absolutely that's Milo he's it's that's his version of live laugh love or oh, eat, yeah. pray love yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> is over his bed every night when he goes to sleep but if he sleeps if I don't know if he does Debatable. actually yeah um but I really liked him as a character and reading it now here in 2023 reminded me a lot personally of, you know, I, I kind of found what my apocalyptic job would be during COVID <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I was the person that certain friends asked to find flour for mm-hmm. 
and toilet paper. Joseph, was that you? Were you asking? Joseph that may was. have been I asking. I was asking about flour. all-purpose flour. Yeah. yeah. Gotta make that bread. Gotta have hobbies. Right. We had yeah. we had trade-off. We had a trade-off point. Like there was oh. a parking lot up at a fish camp Leave outside me Inman. the flour. Yeah. I'll yeah. give you the bread later. So I remember this, obviously, because I was the one that needed the all-purpose flour. Yeah. Um, but I was not the one, not the one that needed the toilet paper in this particular case, no. at least this time. No, no. Um, and I remember you talking about about your role in the context of like one of your favorite NPCs from the Fallout game. Yes. <laughs> uh, tra- was it Trash Can Carla? Yes, Trash Can Carla. Yeah. yeah um, she's my favorite character from Fallout 4 because you go up and she, she has a um, shopping cart just full of stuff and you go and you trade for goods with trash can carla right and i mean my partner has played fallout now i close to a dozen times but trash can carla appears in every single game because she's who you go for goods trading and i realized that like that's that is something that i really kind of enjoyed doing i went shopping for my parents for myself and my partner and his parents during COVID I was the only one who went out into the public because my parents and his parents are both older mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. immunocompromised we didn't want to take any risks and my partner was at work every single day they never closed mm-hmm. um, so I was the one who went out and did all the shopping and I would be at Ingles in Hillcrest and then the Ingles on Pine Street and then maybe the food line on Pine Street and then there was also the Publix where I had to get my mom's medicine and like I was all over and I could see like shades of myself in Milo because of like there's the thrill of the chase oh yeah for Milo for sure and he gets so excited about the cigarettes toward the end of the book and that was me with toilet paper it was like if I found a stash of toilet paper I was like I was often one of the first people to find the toilet paper. And I was like, this is, this is my moment. What a rush. I know yeah. it was. Yeah. And so I like Milo is kind of, kind of a villainous character in the book sure. really, because he puts himself and his needs so far forward as, yeah. as opposed to anything else. I mean, he's stealing canisters out of um, inflatable vests so that the guys don't die, but he needs the right. air in order to make ice cream. <laughs> right. Like, right. you know, he's, he's <laughs> going that far with it. Um, but there is something about that thrill of the chase. That's really relatable to me. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, Milo is a, Milo is an, a really interesting and important character in the novel because like a handful and maybe only a handful of others, he figures out a way to navigate this large, archaic, self-generating system. Mm-hmm. He plays the game. He does. Um, and he survives and makes it out to the end. Um, and and so, you know, I think there's a very interesting study in contrast when you think about someone like Milo, who's able to maybe see this system in a particular way and navigate it with no scruples or morality mm-hmm. or any other basis beyond the grind set, right? Like, let how can I make money? How can I keep this thing moving? Right, and another thing for me during COVID, I was picking up um, pavers, like for my paper? for my no pavers like oh, garden pavers, pavers. Oh, I remember that. yes yeah. because I was hardscaping in my backyard because I I like needed a task and so I was I was putting pavers I was lining our garden edge <laughs> in my backyard I remember this and because I, was, I got roped into this you did you brought me mulch one time yeah which was really exciting um, and pavers and pavers because it was like the Lowe's East Side paper I would buy them out basically right. like, oh, she, she's here again y'all yeah and then i was at the boiling the springs lows i was at the west side lows i was getting mulch all the time and i wasn't the only one doing that no there were so many people who were buying this stuff because yeah. it was like the one thing that they could do and keep Boom themselves and active mm-hmm. but then i started to make pals with someone at the west side lows and i kind of had an in and i knew she would tell me kind of when like when they were expecting their yeah. next delivery of pavers and so i could see you know you've teased this out to its natural conclusion i am milo a little bit minder binder a little bit 
A little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It but is I. <laughs> yeah, but not Mila. <laughs> Mila Meanderbender. <laughs> but there's yeah, there's like but there but you're not a war profiteer and you're not I don't know. It's hard for me. I'm not. You're not. Yet. Oh. <laughs> All right. I would like to say that your conscience would catch up to you eventually. I think so. But I think so. I don't think you're quite as amoral as Milo is, but maybe I'm giving you too much credit. I think we do have to talk, though, about one of our other characters who does make it out by the skin of his teeth. Major, 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 major. <laughs> well, does he? I don't know. Yeah. Do we? No. I don't know about. Okay. I don't know about major, 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 but our dear Yosarian. Yo-Yo. Mr. Yo-Yo himself. My friends call me Yo-Yo. Friends call me Yo-Yo. You can call me John. (laughs) (laughs) We've alluded to him already, right? But he is our anchor character for for the novel. And he is the one. uh, He is the one who inhabits this system far differently Mm -hmm. than Mr. Milo does, right? Um, whether Whether we're talking about his encounter with an attempt to negotiate with the the impossible paradox from which the uh like within the air force from which the novel's title is is uh attributed the actual catch-22 itself which if let's see if i can do it um the only way to be the only way to be grounded from flying emissions is if you are certifiably crazy and you can only be hold on i can't do it you can only be deemed crazy if you say you're crazy but if you know you're crazy then you're not crazy right right right. being able to claim that you are crazy claim actually proves that you are sane and that you have to keep flying missions right that's what it is Mm -hmm. yeah um now there are multiple other catch catches 22 yep uh throughout the novel that um because other one, one through yes. 21 yeah that other characters <laughs> are inhabiting um that they may or may not be finding both miserable and magical <laughs> oh yeah uh thank you um <laughs> but uh but yosarian's experience is the one that that sort of anchors us for the for the course of the book and he's really the one who is like the dirt in the gears Sure. Right. He's yeah. he's the one who's getting under all of his superior skin mm-hmm. about it. Like right. every single one. He's not there and kind of ambivalent about it and frustrated that he's stuck. But what are you going to do? He's like, I'm actively choosing to try and do something about it to stop this from happening Completely. to me. Yeah, he is not going quietly into the, the No, night. he sure he is. isn't. No. He screaming. Yeah. No, so there's so there kicking and screaming and maybe naked mm-hmm. in yeah, a tree. Yeah, like he's <laughs> he's doing whatever it takes. So this is, you know, this is sort of one of the ways, one of the other ways in which the uh the novel's uh sort of satirical approach is is achieved is through this perspectival character um and his regular kind of talking back to and critique of all of these different levels of administration and bureaucracy, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're tangible in the context of, you know, air force hierarchy or somewhat more abstract in the force of, or in the context of kind of religious understandings about like why suffering mm-hmm. is in the world. So in talking about, in talking about Yossarian's character and sort of his, all of his various challenges to authority. I mean, I think I think there. Well, one thing we can say about that is this is so obviously one of the facets of the book that has given it its long, its long mm-hmm. life, right? Um, that uh, that sense of you know readers being able to identify with these various challenges to authority. Finally, here's a character who's talking back. Rhea, you said it beautifully earlier um and i I want you to re-say this again now (laughs) about uh how reading this novel you had a you you became aware of of something about its like canonical status um are we talking about the ideal reader yeah 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 as i was reading it 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 felt academic which kind of harkened back to um this was not on my high school reading list but 
um <laughs> i feel like the there is a 17 year old boy out there somewhere who has made this his entire personality precisely of catch 22 is i like, think there's more than one so. yeah. oh yeah there's I, certainly I, I more just, than I just, one i'm like this this it's just it's it's almost like vibrating with energy this book like you start reading it it's like someone there's some kid out here who is going to grow up into a man who's really into war documentaries who's really like which is i just there's someone who is this is their hyperfixation, and it's talking about catch 22 yeah as if it's the bible and, and like Yossarian go on king <laughs> yes. right. yeah yes like, yeah it's like yosarian one of the there's i think one of the beginning paragraphs describing him is like people have to die in the war but why does it have to be him right it's like, yeah. it's like he's like i know people are gonna die but it's not gonna be me yeah and right. i'm like you know <laughs> yeah i also Fair don't point, want it to be bro. you <laughs> exactly and so you know um you know this this seeing yosarian i think becomes a becomes a really interesting project for the course of the novel. And, you know, and I've already alluded to the fact that uh, in in Colonel Cathcart's hands, you know, he's he's reduced uh, largely to data uh, around his assumed subversiveness um, and what he may or may not be responsible for. But I think there's a really important scene uh, fairly early on in the novel that takes place between major 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 mm-hmm. uh and four majors four majors and uh and yosarian when yosarian tackles him uh, uh outside of his outside of his lodgings um after catching him in one of his many escapes from having to actually meet with any of the enlisted men um and and Yossarian is you know is just giving him the business fully by saying you know I don't want to I don't want to fi- fight mm-hmm. in this war I don't want to die I don't want to die for these reasons and and it's a it's an important moment to me that really resonated this time because it felt like a place where Heller's novel really shines because he's writing from the perspective of major 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 and he has him really recognizing Yossarian's full humanity, uh, as he puts it. He's seeing in him a man who was at least as mature and intelligent as you were and you, who you had to pretend was not. In other words, it's like, what does it mean in the midst of all these systems to actually live out this bureaucracy like as a lived reality? Yeah, it deforms how you think about other people mm-hmm. and and how you see them merely as means to an end and as objects or as materiel, mm-hmm. right, in uh, in war. And so there's that highlight, but that's not all. <laughs> no. That's present in this novel. Uh-huh. There are <laughs> other characters in this novel who uh, are also reduced to mere objects mm-hmm. would it, of exchange would it happen to be the women it's all the women sure Every would woman. be they hmm. nurses hold on or let me check my notes <laughs> yes nurses, is it does it say in there all the women, the women the village, got or all the yeah. children yeah uh, um yeah there are some really Mostly like unnamed. interesting and beautiful moments that are really like clearly developing relationships between men and I'm not that's not sexual it's it's just like humans seeing each other Mm -hmm. as true humans and understanding that complexity yeah the intimacy of doing things day to day in each other's presence Right. right and the particularity of it being in a war scenario sure that makes it heightened yeah it's very heightened um but then we flip the coin and look at the women of the novel, many of whom are identified exclusively by their relationships to the men of this novel. Right. Um, for example, Yosarian's, I would say probably one of his best friends, Nately. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> his girlfriend, quote unquote, is Nately's whore. 
right that's, that's her name that's, that's her we name we never time. know and what... she's in the novel throughout the whole thing like yeah. she, pop- she she's not just like an she's in the final line of the book right she is there throughout and we never know anything of her really her personality aside from she's tired and she's bored Mm -hmm. and we know that she has a little sister and her little sister does wants to do everything that she does and that's basically it we have a couple of nurses and the nurses are essentially caricatures nurse Mm -hmm. um duckett is probably one of the more whole characters in the book but she's reduced to a plaything for yosarian pretty quickly um she feels like a, a predecessor to uh hot lips houlihan and mash yeah that particular yeah, character I'm sure yeah. um you know she's just she's there theoretically to help the men get better mm-hmm. but right. really she's just a a tool or a toy or a plaything you bet um and then the doctor's wife, Dr. Nika's wife, Mrs. Danica, who that's the only time we hear anything of her is when she's referred to by that name, mm-hmm. um, has to live with the concept of being a war widow. Mm-hmm. and But she's probably the most whole female of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, uh, for, for being a war widow, what we do see of her is she's thriving. Yeah, she is. She's making that money. Yeah. She is uh, 50 flirty and thriving, you know. Yeah. She keeps keeps getting all of these allowances for burial um, (laughs) for the doctor. And then multiple life insurance policies come to fruition. She starts cashing his pension in from the military. Uh, Like... Cash is rolling in. It's good business for Mrs. Danica being a war yep. widow, and so we. But we see, you know, the way that she is. It is reflected as a little bit of a grappling for her back and forth. The grief sure. of losing her husband, who isn't actually dead, by the way, yeah. um, a loophole, and who even writes a letter saying, "I'm not dead. Don't listen to them." Right. But then another letter comes in saying, "Your husband He's is dead." dead. Um, <laughs> So this poor man is stuck. He can't he can't draw any money. Yeah. He doesn't get paid because he's dead. He doesn't have anywhere to live because he's dead. Like he's trapped overseas. But she does grapple with like, oh my God, who's going to take care of me? Mm-hmm. And this the concept of capitalism, you know, it unfolds in her chapter as like death is good business. Mm-hmm. You bet. And business it is booming. Yes. Um but that's that's the way we see most of the women in this book is that they're either there to make money or they're there as a prop for the mm-hmm. men. It's one of the two. And it's uh it can be rough stuff to read. Yep. Yeah. It can. And I think, you know, even though we can look at that facet of the novel from the vantage point of systems theory and say, well, or or the the idea of the systems novel and say, well, this is a novel about, you know, this massive event, this, this war that dehumanizes everyone, Mm -hmm. right. Turns everyone into uh, material of exchange, right. Fungibility is the, is the theme of the day um, in, in some form. Um, I think we still, we still can recognize the truth of that and critique what what Heller is doing and this place where he falls short in this yeah. novel where where uh, at the same time we do have those moments of of genuine recognition and between and men between yeah. men mm-hmm. right for sure we do have those you know it's like he's capable of that yeah. and and we see that kind of exchange and and it's just a shame to see uh this other facet of right. The book, right because there's also there's the the long-standing argument well that's the way it was back then right, right? and that's something that we even heard in book club yeah was that as a perspective and in a way sure maybe but there are also other books written in the 50s and 60s who don't treat women like pure caricatures Mm -hmm. and even war novels that don't treat women like pure caricatures and um you know it it is a a place i feel where heller really 
really misses the mark completely because maybe yeah you want it to be satirical and there are parts that are funny like Ott being hit (laughs) hit on the head with the shoe of Mm -hmm. the lady that he was um dealing with at the time Mm -hmm. um and the fact that Nately's whore just decides that she's going to murder Yossarian no matter what it takes, mm-hmm. which is very, <laughs> very funny in a certain way. And that's the reason why she's the last line of the novel. Right. But at the same time, it's all like so super inflated mm-hmm. that you can't take any of them seriously. And that's right. really frustrating as a yeah. woman to read this novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, this is, that is in some ways the, the, uh, the cost maybe yeah of of such an expansive um satirical frame right and such a large cast of characters Mm -hmm. because you do start to run low on the creativity after a certain point in terms of the people that you're writing about yeah all right it's time for the reader's advisory corner now where we talk about what you maybe would enjoy reading watching or playing if you read or watched catch 22 so joseph what would you like to start us off with all right i've got two this time the first one is a movie it is one of my all-time favorite movies uh it's called old joy and it is a movie from 2006 it was directed by kelly reichert and it's a two-hander with Daniel London and Will Oldham, who's a musician also known as Bonnie Prince Billy. And they are in this movie together as a couple of friends who have reunited to go on a camping trip after many years of not spending time together. Daniel London's character is about to become a dad. And uh, Will Oldham's character is still just kind of drifting by in life and uh, making it up as he goes along. And the reason why I am recommending this movie is because I think it is a really beautiful and deeply felt uh, story about closeness between men, recognition between them, and also sort of the recognition between friends, the bittersweet experience that that some, some people may be familiar with when you recognize that you have kind of moved on um, from a friendship or are at that transitional point where maybe things are going to change and they're never going to be exactly how they once were before. Um, so that is my first recommendation. The second recommendation is a book. It's very different from Old Joy uh, because <laughs> it is the novel Libra by Don DeLillo in a certain sense, also kind of a two-hander in the sense that one set of chapters in the novel follows the uh, fictionalized portrayal of a certain Lee Harvey Oswald um, and uh, up to up to the point of the assassination of President Kennedy Um, and the other set of chapters in the novel follows a CIA archivist named Nicholas Branch who is desperately trying to piece together the truth, uh, such as it is, such as it has not been destroyed or suppressed about um, President Kennedy's assassination. I have a question. Yes. Was Lee Harvey Oswald a Libra? He was, in fact, a Libra. Is that where the title comes from? That is where the title comes from. Okay, yeah. cool. Very good. <laughs> Just wondering. Thank you for that clarifying yeah. question. Uh, but again, also, you know, imagine the scales of balancing these two mm. stories together. Um, Smart. Wow, incredible. So so there we go. Those are my those are my two picks. Um Rhea, what do you have? All right. I have two things for watching, two watching recommendations. Um as I was reading, I kept thinking about Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm -hmm. So in any iteration, highly recommend if you at all read Catch Twenty Two and enjoyed the frenzied fervor of weird madness. Um, highly recommend anything from Monty Python, Life of Brian, if you're feeling religiously irrelevant or yeah. um, literally anything. Holy Grail is a Holy Grail. Um, so also um, Jojo Rabbit. So a film we have in our collection is a comedic World War II film that is both very funny and very sad um, and lovely. So highly recommend both of those. Cool. Great. Um. I wanted to talk about two books 
first is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Ooh, yes, that's really good. Which is a, it's not quite a short story collection, but it's a group of inter- interconnected stories about a troop um, that fights in Vietnam and the men who are there and what life is like there, what life is like before the war, after the war, but what ties it all together is it's this one troop of men. Um, and it's very much another war novel. It's not, not funny. Um, so if you're looking for the funny war novel, this isn't the one for you. It's catch 22. But if you're looking for another war story that really digs into the, the lives of men and what they're having to deal with when they're going through war and Mm -hmm. when they're having to live through it and what they grapple with and how they struggle and how they relate to each other. The things they carried is an excellent book for that. Um, The other book that I wanted to recommend is actually a favorite of Joseph's. It's Mm -hmm. called the trees by Percival Everett. Oh yeah, (laughs) And um, it's about a, a murder in Mississippi Mm -hmm. that gets weirder and weirder as it's investigated more and more because these murders keep happening and the the long dead body of Emmett Till appears at the crime scene of each murder Mm -hmm. and the cops can't quite figure out what's going on the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation is called in and it has a very similar sense of humor to Catch-22 and to Joseph Heller's writing. So if you like lists and if you like goofy names and if you like some of the slapstick humor, The Trees is a perfect compliment, I think, to Catch-22 because it has very much the same energy and the same, like, cutting deep on a thing that feels almost like you can't cut deep on it because it's so dark. Um, But humor is part of the way that we survive things. So, I, yeah talk about scales and Libra and the balance mm. the trees and catch 22 could pretty, really balance each other balance. out I yeah, think that's pretty right. even. Yeah, yeah I could see that yeah thank you thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the book lovers podcast all our titles are available in the Spartanburg County Public Libraries collections via spartanburglibraries.org for more information about the titles discussed on this episode or to learn more about us check out our website bookloverspodcast.squarespace.com Rate, review, and subscribe to Book Lovers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.